In the beginning, as God created all of creation, he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden. And they had fellowship. At this place where heaven and earth came together, Adam and Eve had a rich kind of connection with God that was just incredible. They could walk and talk, as we sang in the, in the garden. There was this very special connection with God and humanity at this point in time. And they had all their needs taken care of. They had worship with God in a very personal way. But then they blew it and paid the consequences for that. It's, it's shocking to me you know, they were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, meaning that they not only, and by the way, the image of God just isn't how someone looks, that they look like God. Being in the image of God is that you're doing as God asks. You are being who God has created you to be. You're serving and doing and operating and participating in God's creation as God would have us do. That's fully what it means to be created in the image of God. And we're created for that, but we don't always do that. And as we learn to, to grow as people of faith, sometimes it is all too easy to lose sight that we are created in the image of God, and we, we fail. We fail our calling and who we're called to be. Why does this happen with us? I think a lot of reasons we're all wired differently. Sometimes we get hurt by something and it just causes us to withdraw and we may withdraw from church family, we may withdraw from God. Sometimes we just don't do what we need to do to practice good discipleship. We're, we're lazy, we don't work on the relationship that we have with God the way that we should and we neglect it and we slowly just fade away. Sometimes it's just severe pain. Something happens in our life that is so painful, we struggle with, with having a foundation to adequately deal with that, and so we withdraw as well. Maybe becoming very angry at God in the process and not working through that fully. Well, this morning I want to, for us to look at finishing strong, because we all are at different places in our walk with God, and we all have different starting places but what's of ultimate importance is how do we finish? How do we finish our relationship with God? Now, as we peer back into 1 Kings, we're looking at the life of Solomon during this time period. And in comparison to David, David, um, he started out strong. And then he, had, he, he fell in the middle. And then, um, thanks to challenging from friends and, and prophets and others, David listened, and he came back to God, and he, and he finished strong at the end. Solomon, his son, however, is starting out strong. Remember, we, we, we looked at how when God said, if you could ask a prayer, what would it be? And he says, wisdom. I want to serve. I want to be a good king to my people, to your people. And God grants that to him. And not only that, but he grants him incredible wisdom and then lavish wealth and power like the world hasn't seen. And Solomon is enjoying this life. But as he continues in this life, bag on it, he doesn't stick with that. 
He doesn't stick with that relationship with God. And we'll peer here into um, 1 Kings 11 and see how he's doing. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, and he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth and the goddess of Sidians, Molech and the detestable gods of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. There's a lot in this passage. A lot of questions as we read through and wonder, what happened? What happened in Solomon's heart, the one who was so wise, the one who had so much? He felt called to create this, this temple for God, and he made an altar. And this altar was of gold, and it was to purposefully worship God at this altar. But as we read here, he's building altars still to other gods. He's actually building altars on other high places for other gods, completely against what had just told him not to do earlier. And then the people were asked not to marry out of these other nations. Now, as an aside, do you know, as you look recorded in the Bible, there is not racism based on race. There is not that going on. That's intriguing in our current time and, and day to think that. But there, is, there are commands against other groups of people and not to intermarry with them. But it's not because of being a different race. It's because of being people who are not honoring God with their lives. It's because they are doing and worshiping these, these other gods who are terrible. The, the people feel like they have to honor these gods by doing detestable things, by offering sacrifices that are detestable, including human sacrifices at some points. So these gods are gods that is the people worshiping them. The people are doing terrible things, horrible things. 
And Solomon's building temples and altars for these other gods. To me, it's just incredible. And then he's marrying all these people. And as Solomon held fast to them in love, and I'm thinking, how did he do that with over a thousand um, women that he was connected to, 700 wives? Marriage is tough. It's tough. To 700, how does one do that? You know, and this reminds me, um, when I was a kid, I had a conversation with one of my distant relatives, and he was commenting, and I won't forget this, because my parents just didn't know what to say back to him as I was a kid. He was saying, yeah, it's okay to marry lots of wives. It's in the Bible. Several have done it. And they're like, my parents didn't know quite how to respond because they're just so shocked as he is talking. But it's a reminder, much of the Old Testament here is narrative. And as you reflect on that, just because a biblical person does something, it doesn't mean that it's good. Um, But as you look through Scripture and you see there's consequences for behavior. And we see um, Solomon here paid a tremendous price. And the destruction really ultimately of, of the kingdom. And it was because of his sin and his falling away from God. So just because anyone does something in the Bible does not mean that it's good or or God supports that or that God thinks that that is a positive thing to do. So here we with Solomon. He's turned his, his heart away from God. He's built altars on high places and he's completely abandoned the things that he knew. I mean, he had the knowledge and the wisdom and he still rejected God. So as we read this passage, it's a huge reminder to me and as a reminder to all of us. What altar are you worshiping at? It is so easy to slide from one altar to a new altar. It's easy to slide from worshiping God and if we're not careful to move to another altar worshiping something else i was talking with josh about the the sermon this sunday and he at the time was reading a book and in this book it's the altars where we worship and it's one he's having to read for seminary class and i'm like well that's convenient that's i'm talking on altars this sunday but as i skim through the book the author here points out to these pagan altars that in our american culture we very often worship at and they're not the, the, the ultimate true altar of Jesus, but these other altars that our culture is presenting to us. And many of us, without even thinking about it, leave our altar to God to worship on these other altars. And you see, these other altars have things that are enticing. These other altars have things that draw us to them. They, they have things that, that say, come over here and worship here and not where you have been worshiping. These other altars have things that, that bring some types of, of happy to, happiness to us. They may be short-lived, but they have things that legitimately, and I use this word carefully, but they, they bring things to people that help them to be happy, but in unhealthy ways. And I'll list, he lists six, and there's other altars that we may have ourselves, but I'm gonna just list these six. One 
is our culture is so much promoting um, not only gender things, but things dealing with sexuality and looks and beauty that is huge. And this is his number one, he says, that we, we fail to. And in so many different ways, we go to this altar. As we look at the importance of, of things, and, and you look at advertisements on television, you see the advertisers know this as they place ads. We recognize that in, in many ways that if we're not careful, we'll be sucked in to worship at this altar. Either ourselves falling into the trap of, of feeling bad about ourselves and, and how we look, feeling bad about even though we're created in the image of God, that we, we're, 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 we're down about how we look. And then we continually fight to, to look better than what we are because the culture around us is calling us to look better. Or maybe we are not caught up in ourselves, but we're caught up in looking at others. And our eyes are always looking for beauty and are only for purposes of self-gratification. And this is an altar that is prevalent in our culture, and we have to be aware. Are we giving up the altar to God? for this other false idol of sexuality. The other is big business. Looking at as we live life and we recognize that, that as power comes with big business and as we look at power in our own lives of putting a thousand percent into what we do to accomplish at work and neglecting our family, neglecting our faith, that business can become an altar. Entertainment in our culture can be an altar. It's an altar where we constantly want to be entertained. We want to be challenged, and it could be by watching TV a tremendous amount. It could be involved in going to entertainment, um, being very focused on, on movies and, and Hollywood and focused on that part of life can be an altar that is attractive to us. Politics can be an altar. As we neglect being part of the kingdom of God and looking at the kingdoms of this earth and just continually focusing on political issues and, and growing and actually growing and, and getting joy and happiness from politics versus God. Another one is sports, of being so focused on my team, um, going to events where you have to admit, I have to admit, the first time I went to a college football game was at Purdue, and I was a, a freshman student, and as I'm walking to the stadium, I, I was studying, so I wasn't there at the beginning. And as I'm walking, I'm 20 blocks away, and you hear this, and I'm like, wow. And as I walked into the stadium, and, and the stadium was completely filled with 70,000 people cheering and roaring, I was like, wow, this is a worship service. So to practice here, can we do the what? No, I don't have to do the wave. 
science and technology can be an altar. So science and technology, as we look at wanting to have the, the latest and greatest gadgets of always looking at um, where our joy comes from is, is very important. As I look through this list, I see myself in a couple of these. I see myself, where I, and as I carefully examine myself, do I, am I getting this unhealthy happiness from these areas? You see, because switching altars is a slow fade very often. It's something that happens gradually over time. And we're not planning it. It just happens as we allow our attention, as we allow our passion, as we allow our finances to be focused on something other than what God is calling us to do. And it can happen easily. As you look in David's life, he started strong, but then in the sense of his, his power that he has as king, he allowed his heart to be drawn to another place. Solomon started strong, but even within the wisdom that he had, slowly allowed his heart to be drawn to where his wives were pointing him. So where are you at this morning, and how do we stay strong in our altar to God? I think we have to be conscious and aware of where our heart is at and what brings happiness to us, even if it's short-term. Are there things that bring us happiness that are part of the, the spirit, and does joy come to us when we hear about someone who is reconnecting to God? Do we, do we have joy in our hearts when we hear a missionary come and share about what is going on back in their country and how awesome things are happening and God is moving in miraculous ways? Or do we find more joy in these other altars? Do we find more happiness when our team wins? Or when we're, we're looking at a screen at things that we shouldn't be looking at? Are we finding more happiness when we are entertained by our favorite entertainment? It happens slowly and happens carefully, but can be horrible. So for us, I want us to really think about now, do we want to be like David, where that happens and we come back? Or do we want to be like Solomon, where we don't come back from the other altars? So this morning, I want us to look carefully at what keeps us at God's altar versus worshiping at these false altars. And I will say, it's what we're doing in our spiritual disciplines. Are we allowing ourselves to be discipled and always in an environment of growth? And if we're putting ourselves in an environment of growth toward God, that is what we do to maintain that relationship with God and each other. So as we purposefully examine every day this week, let's look back at this, this past week in your life. Look back last night, Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday. What did you do to grow your relationship with God during that time period? 
Were you involved with other people studying God's word in him? Were you personally involved in growing yourself and connecting with God with prayer, with reading God's word, practicing things as fasting, spending time with God, meditating on his laws and love that he has given us? Or was it at these other idols? These other idols that so easily can grab our attention and hold it. Slipping to the other idols can happen easily. See, we become disciples of these other idols. We become disciples without even thinking about it or realizing it. But it's how we're spending our time and energy and money. So we're going to present to you, and we do it now, but we have a special emphasis coming up in August for all of us to be discipled, to learn God's word, to connect with other believers, to support each other and encourage each other. And we're, we're going to do a kickoff with this. Actually, Ronnie and Janet are so kind they are willing to host again to do a party on Sunday night, August 14th. That's in two weeks. And they're inviting all of us to come out for a celebration. Not just celebrating that it's, it's fall is coming, but it's celebrating discipleship. It's celebrating an opportunity to connect with groups within our church. We call them connection groups where we can connect with each other, where we can connect with God in ways to keep us at the right altar, to keep us at the altar with God. And so this morning, I want to ask us, who am I following as a disciple? Is it one of these other altars, one of these other places that is detracting us from who we are supposed to be following? Are we being like Solomon and going to these other altars? Are we following and pursuing our relationship at the altar of God? If you're not at the altar that you need to be yet, allow God to speak to you this morning, to speak to your heart, to call you back to him. David did. It was amazing. As he repented, as he moved on, he wrote incredible works of poetry. They're included in the, the book of Psalms. His life was transformed and God blessed the nation of Israel through him. God wants to bless you, your family, and your descendants, the legacy that you have as well. And to do that, he's calling you into discipleship. He's calling all of us into growth, into his kingdom as we answer his calling for who he calls us to be. So this morning, who are you following? Who are you following as a disciple? As Linda plays, ponder on this, and listen to God's voice in your life, in your heart, as we listen together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have offered a way to us, a way of life, a way of abundance, a way of pleasing you and worshiping your holy name. 
So God, as we gather as your people, help us to understand worship happens every day. But unfortunately, worship may not be of you. It may be of other things that we've created. It may be altars that we've created to things that we don't even realize they're altars. But God, speak to us this morning. And may we listen and may we respond. In your precious name we pray. Amen.